welcome to the Destiny Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. Okay, so what we're going to talk about is, so we will go back to the list, but not today. So what, what I want to do is teach you um, so that you can then decide how much of that list is true and how much is not true and be sure for yourself that you would know how to explain to somebody why you think it's true or not true. Okay. Okay, well, the list was things people, Christians say about healing. God wants you sick. God's punishing you through sickness, thorn in the flesh. It's God's choice whether he wants to heal you or not. Um, Go on. Healing is his time. Yes, the issues of suffering. Not worthy. Fallen worlds. Yep, not here, somewhere else. Yeah, so we just kind of went through all these things that Christians say. I am not saying they're right or wrong, although I think we probably think quite a lot of them are probably wrong, but you can live your life saying, oh, well, yeah, I believe God heals um, because Rebecca said or Andy said or whatever. Or you can get to the point where you can say, but this is what I believe the Bible says and this is the... This is the the solid point in which I am standing on to believe what I believe. And I would say to you that I think there's a real solid case in the Bible for healing. And that is not just because Jesus healed a man at Bethesda. It's not just because we have a few stories about healing in the New Testament. I think God's heart has been healing all along. And I think if you look throughout the Old Testament, healing is not only available in the Old Testament, but but it is it is foretold. And a lot of the Old Testament is a foreshadowing and a foretelling of what is going to happen at the cross. And um, we, we can dismiss a lot of the Old Testament, and I'm quite tired of people kind of saying, oh yeah, but that's the Old Testament, that's the Old Testament. The Old Testament is an amazingly rich... Um, piece of work and if you think about it it's you know how many books 40 over books isn't it written by completely different authors completely different times completely different experiences and throughout it all interwoven in it is a story that completely accurately to the date predicts the crucifixion of Jesus and um, it's just quite amazing the Old Testament and yes in the Old Testament is is a way that God related to man that he no longer relates to us. So there are lots of the Old Testament that is not applicable to us because we are no longer under the law. But that doesn't mean to say that there isn't a great richness in the Old Testament. And it was God's revelation to man at that time. It wasn't the full revelation of God to man because uh, it is we who have received the fullness. They didn't receive the fullness. We have received the fullness. And that's why there was a lot of types and shadows. There was a, it was a, it was a, a type is something that looks like um, what is to come. So it's, it's not the real thing, but it has a, the story behind it is, is talking about what is to come. Well, 
I mean, God has given the fullness, yes, according to Scripture. It says, of his fullness you have received. Whether we individually can ever grasp the fullness is a completely different issue. But I think God hasn't withheld from us the fullness. Whereas before the cross, there was not a fullness of revelation. Because the fullness is Jesus. Uh, that is the fullness of the revelation of, of God to man. So yes, we have. But quite clearly, not a single one of us can comprehend the fullness. But before Jesus, Jesus hadn't yet been given. I know he had been given before the foundation of the world, but that is talking about the intention of God and what was going to happen. Um, but it hadn't actually happened. So what I want to talk about is that atonement and um, yes can somebody either of the five of you please get the please get the board thank you Janice <laughs> the, the board I forgot to get the board yes I can explain that word okay what we what what people tend to mean or what I mean when I talk about that atonement is that event or those events that happened at the cross and the 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 whole kind of event of the cross and of the resurrection of Jesus is referred to as the atonement okay and um probably a bit high if you can but if you can't I can you can do it low if you want Atonement. I have to switch it on now, yes. But Chris won't know when it's off. Okay, atonement. As a summary, I would... Right, the easy way to remember what atonement means is... It's everything that Jesus did to make us at one, one with him. Okay, so that's the easy way to remember it. And that happened at the cross. Okay, so it was all the events of the cross. And we'll talk about some of them. Uh, I think there's quite a, a lot of things that happened at the cross. And uh, I'm not going to fully cover it, but what I'm talking about is where is healing 
in the atonement. So basically, Jesus went to the cross and did a load of stuff on the cross. And there were three days that he was in the grave and then he rose from the grave. And during that time, things happened. And um, depending on your theology and how you want to look at that and what you want to believe about that, there's a load of stuff that happened. And um, I will tell you some of it that I believe. So Jesus did something during the atonement that uh, paid for our healing. Now, there was healing before the atonement, but it's quite an interesting thing, isn't it? People in the Old Testament re receive stuff. They got forgiven by God before Jesus took their sin on the cross. So there's this tension of, you know, uh, things that happen. But to me, uh, the atonement was a legal event, okay? It was, a, it was an issue of justice, okay? Not everybody would agree with me, but I, I can understand it better personally in these terms. So it was a legal event, and it was about God's justice. Because God is just, and he is fair, and he, his judgments are fair and righteous, and to me, one big aspect of the cross is, a, is it's a legal transaction that happens, okay? So, um, so let's talk about the, the types of the atonement in the Old Testament, okay? And, go on. I would say the atonement is what Jesus did to make us at one with God. So it's the whole event of the cross. It's the whole, that central thing of Jesus on the cross. Everything that he did on the cross and everything that happened. Because as it says, doesn't it, he? he went down and he preached the gospel to the dead. And, you know, so there was a whole lot of stuff that happened uh, during those three days that he was in the grave. I mean, it's, it's technically probably not three whole days. It's you know, it's the, it's the time between him being put in the grave and rising from the dead. But if you count it out, it's to do with the evenings and mornings of the Jewish calendar. So whatever. It's that time, okay? It's that time that it's that, that, that transaction that took place. And, and I think once you realize what took place at that time, then you, you have a really firm, solid foundation for knowing that a lot of what we believe about healing is actually not, not true. I understand why we believe it, because our experience tells us that uh, we should believe our experience and not the truth. But I would say the more solid place to live your life is you believe the truth and get your experience to come in line with the truth, rather than get your truth to line up with your experience. Because... And, and that's what faith is, I would say. Faith is, is aligning your experience with the truth rather than living in your experience. Because if you live in your experience, you will very quickly get into unbelief. You'll start to believe, well, God wants us to suffer because it's good for us to suffer because... And, and you know, all this kind of stuff. Okay, because we try and find an explanation... Uh, for our experience and, and I would say for me the biggest shift for me personally when I was away 
in Malaysia and really kind of looking at scripture in a way that I hadn't looked at it before. That would be my most significant shift. So I always used to feel like I was on the outside looking at scripture, working out what I was going to agree with and what I wasn't going to agree with, what I thought sounded good and what I didn't think sounded good. And, and I would check out scripture according to my experience. So they never get healed. People I pray for never get healed. So um, I'm going to live in this kind of, well, God, sorry, but whatever you say, people don't get healed. And what I've realized is for one thing for sure, guaranteed, is if you do that, people are not going to get healed. Guaranteed, okay? And what I've kind of felt like I did, or God did for me, is I shifted from the place of looking out from the outside looking at scripture I changed the center in a way of my belief system to this is what I believe the Bible says and I'm just not going to shift from that place so I don't actually care on one as from one in one way whether anybody ever gets healed now my compassion cares whether anybody gets healed but my faith stance doesn't care whether anybody gets healed because I've come to understand that the only way we're going to see the truth of what we believe come into our experience is by staying in the truth. You can't stay outside of the truth. You have to remain in that place. And I used to live my life with these massive kind of, you know, shifts of belief and unbelief and belief and unbelief and, you know, just like... and and. It's really wonderful to stop doing that. And, and that's something God did. I mean, I'm not saying I had a great ability to, you know, one day fast 40 days and finally I was a woman of faith. But it's a simple step. It's just you don't, you decide where are you going to base your belief system in. Now, my belief system changes, okay? So it's not an inflexible thing. But for this moment, um, I'm just going to stick with what I know to be true from the scripture with the revelation that I have understanding that that revelation is fluid and it can change and that's okay and I struggled years ago saying that's okay because I was much more legalistic fundamental no this is it anybody else who doesn't believe this is wrong and so I think we hold what we believe with a humility before God and yet we believe it wholeheartedly and we stand on it. And it is really, it's, it's an absolute thrill to live life in that solid place of just saying, well, God, this is my understanding of your heart for us as your people. And it's just kind of great not to live in the fear of, of unbelief. And um, it, it's, it's just a great place to be. I'm not saying I never have unbelief. But I know what I prefer, and I know how to stay in what I prefer. And it's not to draw conclusions from my experience. It's to draw conclusions from what I believe God has revealed about himself, his nature, and his heart towards us. And um, so this is what I believe God's heart to us is for our healing. And um, it's throughout the whole Old Testament so we're just going to look at some of the kind of feasts, some of the events 
of the Old Testament and look at what God was saying about healing. So just, uh, we can't read everything and we can't go through it all and you'll be very glad I'm not going to teach you every feast on Leviticus because I couldn't do that and I don't want to do that. Um, but, huh? Yeah, the, no, we're not. The, the laws of Leviticus. I mean, if you look at all of them, actually, there's all something about all of them. Yeah, it sounds a bit barbaric, but God just had a, he was expressing something of his heart and the people were interpreting it in the level that they could interpret it. So basically the story is, if you remember, uh, Joseph, there were 12, 12 sons. Joseph was kind of left for dead because the brothers hated him because he had dreams and um, uh, so one of them, they left him for dead but one of them rescued him and sold him to Midian, the Midianite traders and he went off to Egypt, was sold as a slave to Egypt. You probably remember the stories. There was a famine in Egypt eventually and after being in jail and being accused of various things, Joseph was raised up and was... Um, made second in command of Egypt and he managed the famine and then his, fa his family had to come down for food and um, he was reconciled eventually with his father and his family and 70 people of his family moved to Egypt and that was what the Israelites became. So it was, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. This was Jacob's sons. So they were the Israelites and they were living in Egypt. And for a while it was great because they were looked after because Joseph was the head of Egypt. But they had been in Egypt for a number of years. And I think it was, sorry, I should have looked. I think it was 430 years. And um, it had been prophesied that they would, to Abraham had a prophecy saying, your descendants will be in a foreign land for this number of years. And um, by the time it had got to the end of those years, the people were crying out because they were enslaved and um, they were badly treated and the new pharaoh was treating them badly and they were, you know, do you remember the stories? They had the straw taken away from them. They were making bricks and it was just hard labor and the people were crying out to um, God and uh, that was the time that Moses was raised up and um, Moses was saved because Pharaoh was killing the, killing the young men of of um, the Israelites and so Moses was saved and he became the deliverer and uh, so um, what happened is then there was this whole time of Moses um, going to Pharaoh and saying let my people go and there were the ten plagues and it's interesting if you're interested in it uh, the, the ten plagues are judgments on the gods of Egypt so e the Egyptians had a number of gods so every plague, it wasn't just random, it wasn't just blood in the Nile and gnats and whatever. All of those plagues were uh, a judgment on one of the gods of Egypt. So the Egyptians worshipped these ten things, including the pharaoh who was the firstborn son. And um, it's just fascinating. Yeah, it, you, I, 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 I can't teach you just now about it, but if you, it's... it's you know, stuff that's easily available. Fascinating. So God just showed this judgment on all of the gods of Egypt. And um, so it came the time that was the time for the final judgment. And um, 
God had said to Moses, you know, tell Pharaoh I'm going to kill the firstborn. And um, the Moses was given instructions for the Israelites. So we're in Exodus 12. Okay. So that's a very, very quick summary of um, the end of Genesis and Exodus. Okay. So uh, Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, God says, if you don't let my people go, this is what's going to happen. And um, basically, Pharaoh didn't let the people go. And um, so I'll just read a little bit of Exodus 11. Uh, the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt, and afterward he will let you go from here. And when he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. And God told Moses to tell the Israelites to ask their neighbors for gold and silver. So when, when, um, when the Israelites left Israel, it left Egypt, they went with a whole load of gold and silver, which the Egyptians had given them. And um, so um, the firstborn in the land were going to die if Pharaoh didn't let the people go. And in verse, so now we're in Exodus 12, and it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, this month shall be your beginning of months, and it shall be for the first month of the year to you. So, um, so, so this was kind of like a new era in God's dealing with his people, okay? And um, he said, speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, on the 10th of this month, every man should take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household, and then if the household was too small, they'd gather together and get one lamb between a number of families. And verse 5, the lamb should be without blemish, male, of the first year, and it could be a sheep or a goat. And they sh they, then this was on the 10th day, and on the 14th day, they were to um, take the goat and, or the lamb and kill it. And then they were to take some of the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorposts of the house. You probably remember the story. So, seven, they should take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts, on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. And they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire. And then there was all these details of eating it with herbs, and they had to finish it off. And then, verse 12, it said, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this was what God instituted as the first kind of feast, which was called the Passover, because the angel of death would pass over those that had the, the blood on the on the door. And Athelia, I don't know whether it was you, we were who asked the question the other the other day about about this kind of tension of feeling the pressure if it's up to me then that's pressure but the nature of faith is is we do have to engage with what god has given us to do and this is what god said to do he said put blood on the door and, and I think if the Israelites had said, oh, well, God can save me if he wants to, and not bothered, then they would have died along with the Egyptians. 
Because there's something about faith, there's something about God's interaction with us where there is an action of faith. Faith is not just a theory, it also is an action. And whether that means you lay hands on the sick or whether it means whatever it is you do, if you just look at how God deals with men, he, it's the same as the story we just read. If the guy had not got up, he wouldn't have been healed. We know Jesus wanted him to be healed because Jesus wanted healing. But the man had to get up. He actually had to do it. And so this was the deal that they had with, uh, this, was, this was their act of faith. This was their, yes, we're going to do what you say. It doesn't make any sense. What, what difference is blood going to make on the door? But it made all the difference in the world. And, um, well, it was, and that's it's part of the type, isn't it? It's part of the, the issue of, of that we're going to talk about. Um, so basically, you know the story, or you might not know the story, but anyway, the story is, um, Jesus, uh, there was then this whole thing of unleavened bread, uh, the festival of unleavened bread afterwards, and, and basically, that's what happened. They, they did the Passover like God had asked them to do. Those that believe put the blood on the door, and all the firstborn of Egypt were destroyed. I am absolutely 100% convinced if any... Egyptian had done the same thing, they also would have been saved. And if you look later on, it talks about this mixed multitude being with the Israelites. And I think there were Egyptians who just thought, you know, I'm going to do this too. I think I'd have done it if I was an Egyptian. So when we talk about God's chosen people, actually God never excluded people even then. He didn't say, he spoke to his people, but there were, other, there were Egyptians who came with them as they went out and um, because God's, God provided for others even at this time. So it's just really interesting, okay, what did they have to do? They had to take a male lamb that was perfect, so it's already kind of looks like something else we know about, isn't it? And what did they do with the lamb? Yeah, and then blood. Yeah, it was in the twilight. Yes, you're right. Yes, and and ate it. Yeah. And there was bread made without yeast, which was that was to do with talking about sinlessness, wasn't it? Because leaven always refers to sin. So then, after that event, there was this kind of uh, a festival of unleavened bread for seven days. Um, so when the, is, when the Israelites went out of Egypt, they, they didn't take any leaven with them. They, didn't, they weren't allowed to take yeast with them. Um, so they were not supposed to take the sin with them. There was this event that had happened. Um, so, um, <coughs> let's have a look at some other scriptures. So Psalm 105, 37. I love this scripture. I never knew it ever before because it's a bit of a vague scripture. But Psalm 105 is one of those psalms that is a, it's a story. 105, Psalm 105. So there's a number of psalms around about this kind of number of psalm where they're just recounting the story. And um, God said to the Israelites a number of times, you know, during this festival, get together and 
tell the stories, tell the stories, tell about, you know, the stories of your forefathers, tell about the time that you came out of Egypt, recount the story, keep remembering my goodness. So Psalm 105 um, verse 37. So this story is about remembering the marvelous works of God. And he talks about the famine, talks about the famine in the land of Israel, talks about um, Jacob going down to Israel, talks about Moses, talks about, you know, all of the judgments on Israel. And then it comes to verse 37, 36. He says, he also destroyed all the firstborn in their land, the first of all their strength. So now it's talking about this time just before the Passover. He also brought them out with silver and gold. So that was what happened. They asked their neighbors for silver and gold and for some reason the Egyptians gave it them, which is rather wonderful. And then it says, and there was none feeble among his tribes. Does anybody have another? No one faltered, yeah. What, what does yours say? Faltered. To falter is to... Hmm? Stumbled, okay. This says there was none feeble among his tribes. No one weak, yeah. And it's just really interesting because as they went out of Egypt, the scripture says nobody was weak. And in fact, during the whole time in the wilderness, there's other scriptures that talk about the fact that, you know, their shoes didn't run out. Uh, they didn't, you know, they were, they, there was... Uh, a lot of miraculous kind of provision. But this, this little verse is talking about as they were leaving Egypt. Isn't that a bit strange? These guys had been crying out to God because they were being treated like slaves. They'd been, they, they'd been crying out in their desperation. They'd been given extra work to do. And why is it that none of them were feeble? None of them were weak? Yeah. See Exodus 12, there you go. <laughs> and the interesting thing is, this whole Passover, and interestingly, I believe, the eating of the flesh. So as they ate of the lamb, they became well. They became whole and they, they gained strength. So the blood protected them. They put the blood on the door. But there was something about eating of the lamb. And it's a theme that runs throughout scripture. The eating of the lamb. The eating of the... What else do we know of? Of the body. Of the bread. And, it, and the Passover is a type of the atonement. It's a type of the cross. And it's a type of... The reason you had a perfect lamb is because Jesus was a perfect sacrifice. And what is it we know about Jesus? We know about his shed blood and his broken body. So it was, sorry, I'll, I'll, answer you, I'll get you in a minute. The, so the Passover had two points. The shedding of the blood, which protected them from death. And the eating of the body, which enabled none of them, none of them, to be feeble. Go on. Well, that's the best healing of all. That is absolutely the best healing of all. Well, not getting sick at all. Yeah. But why don't you get sick at all? Because of the body. 
Yeah, they were slaves. Yeah. 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 Because that is the provision for our bodily strength. Go on, Jonas. I thought you said something else. No. No, no, no. Well, yes, yes and no. The reason I would say no is, uh, the reason I would say yes is, I don't believe we do have to be sick or ill. But if we would never get sick or ill, then there wouldn't be no need for healing. And God has provided healing for us. So I, I think there is this tension that we live in where there will be a time when we never get sick again. But at the moment, we are not yet living in our resurrected bodies. So we're living in this time before we have a resurrected body where we are saved and we have the indwelling of the Spirit of God, but our body is as yet still a body that is subject to death. Now, I don't think death has to be due to sickness, but I do think we live in this tension whereby we still have a body which is mortal. And therefore, healing is provided. Now, I know some people who, cannot, who will argue we should never be sick. Christians can't ever get sick. I don't think the Bible says that. But I would like to live like that. I would like to live that as a, you know, as a, I don't have to be sick. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, it does say feeble. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm I'm going to carry on. That's just one that's just one thing. So the evidence is is yeah. So, um I just give you these scriptures just cuz I want you to be able to <laughs> I want you to be able to um Give an account of what you believe. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 5, 7. One Corinthians 5, 7. You can just write it down if you want. Just so that you know where these scriptures are. 7, it says, Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. So this is talking about, it's referring to the Passover. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. So purge out the old leaven, get rid of the old yeast. And remember, yeast is a symbol of sin, of, uh, of um, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are. I love that. Yeah, because you really are, be who you really are. It's just fantastic. Because we're not sinful. Uh, so therefore, don't live sinfully, because we're not. And then it says, for indeed Christ, our Passover was sacrificed for us. So, it's just the ref reference that Christ is our Passover lamb. Okay, so the Passover is a type of Christ. And as at Christ's sacrifice, the cross, the atonement, the 
Passover has something to tell us about what he did on the cross. Okay. 1 Peter 1.19. 1 Peter 1.19. Just before John. 1 John. One first book of Peter one. I mean, that's another bit of that was Jesus talked about that, didn't he? About the leaven going through it. Yeah, go through the whole lot. Yes, yeah, yes. When he said, when he talks about that, he's he's actually referring to the teaching of the Pharisees. He's not talking about the sin of the Pharisees. He's talking about the teaching of the Pharisees. Yeah. Okay. One Peter one verse nineteen says. Um, well, I read eighteen because I like this from eighteen. It says, "Knowing that you were not redeemed." What does the word "redeemed" mean? These are all these things that happened on the cross. Redeemed. Redeemed. This is atonement. Redeemed. What is redemption? Okay, something to do with purchase. Very good. Purchased. <laughs> you redeem something. Yeah, it's like a pawn shop. So if you take your mobile phone to the pawn shop and um, they buy, give you 30 quid for it, there is a redemption price, which means you have to go to the pawn shop with 50 quid and buy it back. So redemption is buying back something that was yours. Huh? <laughs> We were his already, so it's buying back, buying back, yeah. Okay, so it says knowing, 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 that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. It's funny, isn't it? Silver and gold is not really corruptible, but according, it's just making this kind of comparison between the price, the price that we were bought with, with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the, what was our redemption price? Precious blood of Christ. Yeah. Precious blood. So there's something about the blood of Jesus' shed blood at the cross uh, that brought us back. Okay. Well, and a number of other times in the Old Testament. But these scriptures, because it says, if you carry on, it says, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Okay. For your sake. And Revelation 13, 8 says... The book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So it is, the Passover is a type, it's a foreshadowing of 
the cross of the atonement of what Jesus did at the cross. And one of the things that he did is he redeemed us. He bought us back. And the cost of that redemption was blood. His blood. Uh, 13, 8. 13, 8. Okay, just to give you a little lovely scripture story which I love. 2 Chronicles 30. 2 Chronicles 30, which is kind of... You know, the king, 2 Chronicles 30, 3 3-0. Um, Samuel and then kings and then chronicles... You know, it all kind of talks about the same story. And it's basically about the history of the kings of Israel. After David, they asked for a king. They got Saul. Then they got David. And then after David, the kingdom was divided into two. So then you get Israel and Judah. And these all books just tell the story and the history of, those, of that history of Israel. And I think Phil talked about this. It depends on which point of view you're talking because the stories are basically similar but not exactly the same so the numbers might differ or the you know the it, 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 it might they don't they're not exactly the same and can't quite remember which one but one is written from point of view of Israel one is written from point of view of Judah and they're written for different purposes so they're they're historical accounts okay um so this is uh about Hezekiah and, and it's really interesting. You read these, you know, it says, most of Israel's kings were bad. Judah had good kings and bad kings, but Hezekiah was basically a good king. So they'd, you know, they'd go back to God, find the law, do the right thing, live rightly, and then their sons would then mess it all up again. And, you know, you get this whole thing of the kings of, of Judah kind of uh, trying to find God and then messing it up. And So Hezekiah was basically a good king, but... God gave all these laws, you know, and the Israelites never kept, they hardly ever kept any of them. Um, they, they, they didn't, they just didn't keep the Passover. They didn't keep the Sabbath. They just never did it. Well, it was probably just about impossible to do it anyway. And they lost, they kind of lost the tradition of doing it. So basically, Hezekiah as a king is a king who wanted to know God and wanted to get back to God. And... Um, Basically, they discovered this whole thing about Passover, which they'd forgotten about. And um, so, it says here, um, Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel. So, they had, Hezekiah restored worship in the, temple and he cleansed out the temple so basically the temple that they built had become cluttered up with a whole load of rubbish they weren't using the temple they weren't doing the sacrifice they'd lost the book of the law they they had no understanding of it and he cleared it all out and they found the book of the law and they kind of read it and um he started to institute worship and um so he realized that they were supposed to do this passover every year so he calls the people but basically, 
they they tried to they didn't have the the right number of priests who were purified and they did it at the wrong time because they couldn't consecrate enough people to do the Passover and so basically he called all the people and uh, called them to come back and do the Passover and verse 9 it says for if you return to the Lord your brethren and your children will be treated with compassion by those who lead them captive so that they may come back to this land for the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn his face from you if you return to him. And of course, the people laughed at him and mocked at him. And, and um, eventually, enough people gathered together to keep the feast of unleavened bread and Passover. Okay, They took the altars of idol worship and threw them away. Verse 15. They then, then they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th day of the second month. It's supposed to be the first month, right? The priests and the Levites were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought the burnt offerings to the house of the Lord. And they stood in their place according to the custom, according to the law of Moses, the man of God. And the priests sprinkled the blood. Okay, so they were really doing their best to do the Passover. 2 Chronicles 30. Oh, yeah, it does. It, it's uh, okay. Okay, so verse 18, this is what I want to read to you. For a multitude of the people, many from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, these are the tribes of Israel, had not cleansed themselves, yet they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. Okay, so they were in trouble really because they'd had to purify themselves before the feast and they'd done it on the wrong time and the wrong day. But Hezekiah prayed for them saying, may the good Lord provide atonement for everyone so here's this word what he's saying is can god just god can we just all get back to you can you just make us one with you again so may the good lord provide atonement for everyone who prepares his heart to seek god the lord god of his fathers though he is not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary so hezekiah's just saying god i know we've done it wrong but we just want we just want oneness please accept what we've done we're trying our best kind of thing it says and the lord listened to hezekiah and healed the people don't know what your scripture says pardoned okay pardoned what's yours is yours saying? healed okay it's part of atonement okay it's part of um I'm not trying to make out that this was the people, the sickness all dropped off, but what I'm saying is as part of the cross that is to do with bringing people back into wholeness, is there's something about the atonement, this Passover lamb, this sacrifice, that not only brings us back to God as one, but it, it brings a healing, it brings a pardoning, it brings a being back at one with, with God. It's just interesting. I just love this little story that Passover is then associated with a well-being. Let's put it that way. With a, a healing. So, um, Passover is part of the, is one of the Old Testament types of the atonement. Thank you for listening to the Destiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.